Welcome to Hometown Paranormal, where everything is fake and nothing is real, but every hometown gets its own paranormal story. My name is Kristen Kozlowski, and I'm the creator of this podcast. And for every episode, I'll make up a strange paranormal story set in an actual place and tell it to you. So thank you for tuning in and for putting Hometown Paranormal on the map. Today's episode is called The Burning House of Toledo, Ohio. When Rachel Burton's parents arrived at her apartment in Toledo, Ohio to pack up her things, Rachel was lying in bed with her comforter pulled up to her chin. She hadn't gotten out of bed in 16 hours, and she hadn't left her apartment in six months, and she hadn't gone to work or seen any friends in a full year. You see, a year ago, Rachel, who was a young woman, only 28 years old, was driving herself and her husband to the theater to eat some popcorn and watch a movie together when they were in a horrible car crash, one in which another car ran a red light and crashed into the passenger side of Rachel's car, the side where her husband sat holding Rachel's hand while they drove through the streets of Toledo. And while Rachel survived the accident, her husband, unfortunately, did not. Now the death of Rachel's husband, like the deaths of everyone we love, greatly impacted Rachel, who loved her husband very much and missed him very much and wished more than anything that the car crash had never happened. And this had to do with the fact that Rachel had been driving the car on the night of the crash and so Rachel largely blamed herself for the crash and for her husband's death. And the weight of that guilt combined with the intense grief that she felt over losing her husband was slowly crushing Rachel. The weight of her sorrow and her guilt was so heavy in fact that Rachel couldn't work and she couldn't visit her friends and she couldn't even get out of bed most days. Eating was something she rarely did. Even staying awake for an entire day was too exhausting for Rachel and so her parents after watching Rachel slowly deteriorate right before their eyes, and after seeing that since nothing they had done to help their daughter for a full year had helped, her parents decided to pack up Rachel's apartment and move Rachel home with them, where they could keep an eye on her and try to help her recover from her devastating loss. Unfortunately, back in her parents' home, things didn't get much better for Rachel. She still laid in bed most days. She did eat a little bit more because her parents delivered food right to her bedroom three times a day and convinced her to eat a little. But overall, Rachel still struggled with her grief and the loss of her husband at such a young age. Rachel often cried to her mom and said that she had planned a whole life having kids and growing old with her husband and now all of those plans were gone. But Little by little, Rachel's parents did have a positive impact on Rachel, and Rachel slowly began to get out of bed and go downstairs to eat meals with her parents. And she did begin to read some books that her mom started checking out of the library for Rachel and leaving on Rachel's bedside table. Then, one afternoon in June, almost three months after Rachel moved in with her parents, Rachel was up reading one night with the windows in her bedroom open, when Rachel smelled smoke. Now, this was alarming because Rachel knew that both of her parents had went to bed hours ago, and so Rachel got up to check the kitchen and see if she could find where the smell of smoke was coming from. 
But when Rachel climbed out of bed, she was able to see out of her bedroom window and she could see that there was smoke billowing up from a house on the next block over. And she could see huge plumes of thick black smoke rising high into the sky, rising up from the house in waves. And Rachel could smell the burning and assumed with the size of the smoke cloud that a house must be on fire. And so she decided to call 911. But that's when Rachel realized that she didn't have a phone. Since she lost her job and she didn't have any friends and her parents had taken over paying all of her bills, they didn't think a phone was necessary for someone who never left the house, who rarely got out of bed even, and so they canceled her phone plan and just tossed her phone, whose battery had been dead long ago anyway, into a drawer. And her parents had assumed that when Rachel was feeling better, they'd set her up with a new one. And so without a phone, Rachel went quietly into her parents' room to find one of their phones to call 911. And while she rummaged around their bedroom looking for one of their phones, she accidentally woke up her parents, who were surprised to find Rachel in her bedroom and immediately wanted to know what was wrong. Rachel said, there's a house on fire. I need to call for help. But to her surprise, her parents didn't jump out of bed and help Rachel find a phone. Instead, they calmly climbed out of bed, went to the window, and looked out of it. And there, just as Rachel said, was a huge tower of putrid black smoke rising into the air. But unlike Rachel, her parents didn't seem panicked or surprised at all. They calmly turned to Rachel and told her that it was nothing and that she should just go back to sleep. Well, of course, Rachel was shocked. How could she just go back to sleep when a house was potentially burning down right that second? And why weren't her parents interested in helping her call for help? And so Rachel said, no, I'm not going back to bed. We need to call someone and tell them there's a house on fire. Rachel's dad just sighed very loudly and said, you can call, but no one will come. And then her dad explained why. He said that the house, the house one black over, that looked like it was on fire, really wasn't. He said that over 20 years ago, that house did suffer a huge fire, a fire so large, in fact, that the house burned all the way to the ground. And the family that lived there, a young couple with their two small children, had all died. But he explained, eventually, the house was rebuilt and a new couple moved in. However, not long after the new family moved in, they were woken up early one morning to a loud male voice yelling, Emily, no, stop. And just like that, their house caught fire. This time, however, the new family was able to escape the fire and got safely out of the burning house. The strange thing was, though, that even though the family living in the house claimed that a fire had started and that they needed to flee for their lives, and even though neighbors saw smoke billowing out of the house, there ended up being no evidence of the house being on fire. When the fire department arrived and went into the house to battle what looked from the outside to be a raging fire inside, they found absolutely no fire at all. The fire chief and all the firefighters were stumped, but eventually the smoke stopped billowing out of the house's windows and everything went back to looking normal. Eventually the family was allowed to go back inside their house and they confirmed that it 
looked like nothing had happened. There were no scorch marks. There was no smoke residue. Nothing was out of place and nothing was burned. It was as if the second fire had never happened. Now everyone involved, from the family who lived in the house to the firefighters to the neighbors, all thought that this was strange, but what could they do? If there was no fire, then there was no fire. So eventually, the family went back inside and continued with their day. But to their surprise, the next morning, the same thing happened. The new family woke up in the early morning hours to the sound of a man yelling, No, Emily, stop! And again, the house began to fill with smoke, and again, the family ran out of the house in fear for their lives. Again, the neighbors saw the smoke and called 911. Again, the fire department came screeching down the street. But again, an hour later, the smoke was gone, and the firefighters would confirm that there hadn't been any fire. It was as if the fire, it was as if a fire that nobody could see, like a ghost fire, was raging inside the house. The family was allowed to go back inside the house, but honestly, they were very confused and really unnerved by what was going on with their house, not to mention extremely tired because they'd woken up in a panic two days in a row. But the next morning, the same thing happened, and the day after that, and the day after that. Eventually, the family who lived there couldn't take it anymore, and they did what anyone would do. They packed up their things and moved out. It was just too much for them. And so Rachel's dad would tell her the house was still there and still empty and still appearing to catch fire every morning without actually catching fire at all. But at this point, the neighbors were used to it and the neighborhood was used to it and the people, even the fire department, just sort of ignored it because really, what else could they do? Now, Rachel was somewhere between being not sure that she believed her dad and just kind of shocked that something like this was possible. But her dad pointed to the window and said that she should just sit at the window and wait. And she would see for herself that the smoke would suddenly stop without any help from anyone at all. And so Rachel did, and her dad was right. But Rachel couldn't get that story of this house out of her mind. She actually didn't sleep at all that day or that night. And when the early morning hours finally came and Rachel saw the big black tower of smoke begin to rise up out of the house on the next block, she decided that she was going to walk over and see it for herself. So Rachel pulled on a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and slipped on a pair of her mom's sneakers because she couldn't find any of her own. And she walked out of her parents' house for the first time since walking into it almost three months earlier. And then Rachel made her way down to the end of the block, and she turned the corner and walked down to the next block, turned that corner, and after walking past just a few houses, she was standing in front of the house with the smoke billowing out of it. And just like her dad said, Rachel couldn't see any fire at all, only smoke. And she didn't see any neighbors or anybody at all paying attention to this house that looked for all intents and purposes like it must have a raging fire burning inside of it. But even after seeing the house, Rachel still couldn't get it off of her mind. And so the next morning, she decided that she was going to go to the house and sit in front of it and see if she could see what was happening. When Rachel arrived at the house, it was still dark and the house was covered in shadow, but Rachel decided to wait and see what would happen. 
and a few minutes later, just like Rachel's dad said it would happen, it happened. From somewhere deep inside the house, Rachel heard a loud male voice yell, Emily, no, stop! And then a few moments later, smoke began billowing out from the back of the house. Rachel sat there for a while, just staring at the smoke rising into the sky. And even though it was really early, Rachel's parents did live in a blue-collar neighborhood. And so Rachel could see some of the lights clicking on in the neighbors' houses as people began to wake up and begin their day, even though no one paid any attention to the house. Eventually, an older gentleman who was taking his small dog for a walk stopped near Rachel, and nodding towards the house, he asked her if it was her first time seeing it, to which Rachel said, yes, it was. And the man shook his head and said that it was a shame that the woman who lived there all those years ago had burned it down with her whole family inside. And then the guy said, you know, she did it on purpose, killed her whole family, crazy woman. Now this shocked Rachel. Her dad didn't tell her this. He didn't say that the woman had started the fire on purpose. And so Rachel asked the man, what do you mean? And the man said, well, you heard the screams that came from the house just before the fire started. The husband who lived there obviously yelled at his wife not to start the fire. He tried to save them, but it didn't work. His wife burned it down anyway. That's why it's haunted, you know. She's being punished for killing her family, so she returns here every morning to repeat it. That's her hell. Rachel was shocked at this idea that the woman who lived here had purposely killed her whole family, and as someone who lived with the regret of having caused an accident in which her husband, the person who she loved the most in the world, died, Rachel couldn't wrap her head around this idea. She woke up every day wishing that she had been paying more attention while she's driving on the night that her husband died. She woke up every day wishing there was a way for her to do it all again and to do it better this time. To do it in a way that saved her husband instead of killing him. But of course, Rachel knew that she would never have that chance. And perhaps that was why Rachel couldn't get this smoking house out of her mind. And so the next morning, before sunrise, Rachel got dressed again. And again, she put on her mom's sneakers. And again, she walked down the block and around the corner to where the house was. And again, it was a little too early for the house to start smoking. And so Rachel decided that she was going to go inside the house. She decided if the she decided that if the woman who had lived there 20 years ago had killed her whole family on purpose, then Rachel wanted to know why. She wanted to know what was going on in that house. Was the ghost of that woman really reliving that experience over and over again in some sort of eternal punishment? And so Rachel took a deep breath and walked up to the house. Now, because the house was empty and nobody lived there, she expected the front door to be locked. And when she tried the door, she found that the knob turned easily and she just pushed the door open and walked in, closing it behind her. Inside the house, it was dark. The sun hadn't risen yet and there were no lights, but Rachel's eyes were used to the dark, being that it was dark outside where she'd come from. And so she could see just a little bit and she noticed that she was standing inside of what was meant to be the living room. Although it had no furniture or wall hangings or anything at all. And she knew from the day before that the smoke 
from the fire seemed to come from the back of the house. And so Rachel walked through a narrow hallway towards the back of the house, which turned out to be the kitchen. But the kitchen, she noticed, was not empty. It was filled with all the appliances you'd expect to be in a kitchen, and it had a round wooden table with four chairs around it. And she saw that there were even plates and glasses on the table. And the kitchen even had a large sign hanging up on one wall that said, Bless this mess. Now in this room, the house didn't look deserted at all. In fact, it looked like it was ready for a family to come downstairs any minute and eat breakfast. Rachel even thought that she could smell coffee brewing and food cooking. To Rachel, it smelled like bacon was cooking, and so she moved closer to the stove to see where the smell was coming from, and sure enough, there were two pans sitting on the burners on the stove, and one of them was filled with bacon sizzling. And that's when Rachel noticed that she was not alone in the house. The kitchen table, the table that she had just walked past, now had a man with dark curly hair sitting at it. In front of the stove, right next to where Rachel stood, was a tall woman wearing plaid pajamas. The couple wasn't talking, and they both looked sleepy-eyed, but it was obvious that they were getting ready to have breakfast together before one or both of them left for the day. And suddenly, Rachel felt very uncomfortable. Had she made a mistake? Had someone moved into the house and she didn't know it? But before Rachel could apologize or excuse herself, something happened. The pan on the stove that had the bacon sizzling in it suddenly burst into flames. The bacon grease had caught fire and tall red flames were rising up from the pan on the stove. Rachel felt frozen in place as she just watched the flames in the pan rise a good foot into the air. Now when the pan of bacon caught fire, the tall woman standing next to Rachel, she wasn't frozen like Rachel was. This woman yelped and jumped back. And, when she, and then she reached for something on the counter behind her where Rachel couldn't see. And when she turned back towards the stove where Rachel could see her again, Rachel saw that the woman had grabbed a glass of water. And she looked like she was going to pour the water onto the pan of bacon that had caught fire. Now, Rachel knew that you can't use water to put out a grease fire. You need baking soda, a flour for that. You need to smother the fire. But Rachel realized that the tall woman must not know that because she was holding a full glass of water and it looked to Rachel that she was going to pour the whole thing onto the fire. And this would be a big problem. This would cause the fire to spread. That's when Rachel saw the man sitting at the kitchen table jump out of his chair and come towards the woman. And he was yelling, Emily, no, stop. But the kitchen table wasn't very close to the stove. And Rachel could see that the man wouldn't be able to make it to the woman in time to stop her because the woman had already begun to tilt the glass towards the pan. And the water was already tilting in the glass. Rachel, however, noticed that she was much closer to the woman than the man was. And that's when Rachel realized that she wasn't frozen, not really. She had just been shocked and had mentally frozen up when she saw the couple appear in the kitchen out of nowhere. But Rachel found that she really could move. And since Rachel was standing so close to the woman, and since Rachel knew that pouring water onto the fire would make it worse and could, and could likely cause a fire that could burn the whole house down, Rachel decided to step in 
And so Rachel lifted her hand and placed it on the woman's arm as the woman tilted the glass towards the fire. Now Rachel didn't know what would happen when she reached out to the woman because by now Rachel was realizing that the tall woman and the man sitting at the kitchen table were probably not new owners who had just moved into the house. The fact that a fire was starting right before her eyes and the fact that the man at the kitchen table had just yelled, Emily, no, stop, just like Rachel and her parents and all of the neighbors around the house that Emily was standing in had heard emanate from the house every morning for the last 20 years, all clued Rachel into the fact that these two people were either figments of Rachel's imagination or they were some sort of ghosts or spirits of the couple who had died in that house 20 years ago, still occupying the house. Being that Rachel now believed that the people she was seeing were dead, she didn't know what would happen if she tried to touch one of them. She didn't know if her hand would just move right through the woman like it would with a ghost or an apparition. But to Rachel's surprise, when she reached out for the woman and her hand met the woman's forearm, it felt to Rachel just like touching anyone else. And it was Rachel's touch that stopped the woman from pouring water onto the fire and thus stopped the fire from spreading. Later, Rachel would say that when she stopped the woman from pouring the water onto the grease fire, the man who was behind them and running towards the woman and the stove and who had shouted at the woman, Emily, to stop, immediately disappeared. And then the tall woman standing next to Rachel, who was still holding a large glass of water in her hand, looked right at Rachel. And it was as if she was seeing Rachel for the first time. Rachel would say that the woman's eyes filled with tears, and she whispered the words, Thank you, just before she also disappeared. After the woman disappeared, Rachel looked around the room and noticed that the kitchen table and the dishes and flatware that had been set out on that had been set out as if the couple were about to eat breakfast, and even the pan on the stove with the bacon and the fire all disappeared as well, leaving Rachel alone in the kitchen. After that morning, neighbors of this house in Toledo say that smoke never billowed out of that house again, and they never heard a man shouting in the early morning hours. And people around there believe that by stopping the woman from spreading the fire, by pouring water on the inflamed grease, that Rachel stopped whatever possession the couple's spirits or ghosts had over that house. And ever since that day, smoke has never billowed out of that house again. As for Rachel, she lived with her parents for one more year, and during that time she felt better and better. She eventually found a job, moved into a place of her own, and even began dating again. That's it for this episode of Hometown Paranormal. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our podcasts and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or if you'd like to have your hometown featured on Hometown Paranormal, you can send me a message on Instagram at, hometown, at hometown.paranormal. So thank you for listening and for putting Hometown Paranormal on the map.